Today's um, scripture reading is from Luke 4, 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, nice to see everybody. Um, <clears throat> still kind of giddy from in-person praise, uh, joining together for that. I hope you get to be blessed in that way. Uh, today I bring message number two of a three-part series on uh, Luke 4, 14 to 30, on the topic of self-understanding. Uh, last week we covered how the calling of God upon Jesus' life defined, shaped, even determined the what, the when, the how of his life in a rather comprehensive way. Today we kind of funnel out uh, to the entire passage from verse 14 all the way to verse 30 uh, to try to get a sense of how the opinions of others, uh, be they public or private, uh, affected Jesus' self-understanding, uh, if at all. Uh, as my title shows, the sub-theme of today's sermon is uh, reputation. reputation. Uh, I struggled a bit on how to specify this sub-theme. Um, I thought about using the term public opinion or external perspectives, um, or other expressions. But I settled on reputation um, because it tends to describe how others view us. Uh, plus, it can have both positive and negative connotations. And usually, we are concerned at some time, uh, one time or another, right, about our own uh, reputation or reputations. Indeed, whether we desire one or not, in any regular social setting, a reputation is almost automatically formed. The more public or active or famous a person is, 
uh, her reputation can grow larger than life. And as many, as many of us have all experienced or observed, reputations can suddenly shift. Reputations can be ruined in a New York minute, or a positive revelation or development can create an instant star or give a career a meteoric ascent. Uh, the Bible recognizes that a good reputation is something to be steadily built and zealously protected. Numerous proverbs, uh, for example, speak to that effect. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Uh, growing up, I bet a lot of us heard similar exhortations uh, from our parents. They made us aware of the positive and negative effects of what other people thought of us individually or of our family or even of our country or people. And maybe you have stories, uh, personal or anecdotal, of how a strong reputation for integrity or reliability um, helped a person standing in a community or enhanced business relationships. Uh, you may have firsthand knowledge of how notoriety can haunt a person through many a day. So I think it brings us to this question, right? How should the opinions of others affect us? How should the opinions of others affect us? And particularly, how should it affect our understanding of ourselves, right? What people say, what people think about us, should that change our self-understanding? Uh, that's the question that I want us to kind of be thinking about today. Uh, on one extreme, one extreme, we could say that we are our reputations. Okay? Your reputations are who you are. Right? So curating uh, the image others have of us is uber important. In this scenario, what others think of us, what our friends think of us, what our society thinks of us, what our family thinks of us, what God thinks of us, what our spouse, you know, you know the, the list goes on and on. It matters, it could matter a great deal to us if we think we are defined by our reputation. Uh, there was this one episode that I watched. Um, I'm not really into uh, the Black Mirror, but apparently it's a kind of a dystopian kind of uh, uh, series on Netflix. And um, this one was called Nosedive. And um, I watched it. I forget how I got to it. But the main uh, character in that episode is Bryce Dallas Howard. And she was in The Help and I think uh, one of the Jurassic movies. Anyway, she plays a woman living in a world where being popular means everything. Everybody rates each other on the spot. Everyone is like kind of interconnected and you, know, you get one to five if you like somebody or if you don't like somebody, if you like think they're wearing cool clothes or if you like, you know, if they're driving a nice car, whatever. So everybody is like, you know, your rating changes moment by moment in real time, up or down. And, you know, she's always kind of, I guess we could say she's like a wannabe, right? She's trying to get, in, get her rating up. And she gets invited to a swanky wedding. Uh, of a friend that she's she's had, and this friend is really like high rated, highly rated, and so she's really excited. But along the way there, everything goes wrong. Things go terribly awry on the journey there, and then she gets to the wedding, and she like grabs a mic and does this really crazy, crazy reception speech. 
and this causes her you know popularity to plummet everyone gives her ones and right before you hear ping 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 ping, ping you hear that she's like everyone's public opinion of her is, is terrible and she ends up in jail you know they they arrest her because she starts brandishing a knife and and she's there and it looks like her life is over but there's a hint of redemption right? because uh, she is deprived of her phone and so she can't rate the other prisoners and as she, finally she starts to not care what others think right? so it's kind of an interesting angle uh, even outside the quagmire of social media likes and loves, um, we know that public opinion can be fickle, even mercurial. Uh, maybe too often we are beholden to what others think of us, right? the pressure to fit in, to be liked uh, by our peers. This can be consuming. Yeah. A chameleon is a good analogy where our appearance or our actions take on the expectations and markings of our environment. In the process, though, of caring too much what others think and trying to change to meet those, what they say, we can lose a sense of who we are. Any semblance of a core identity can begin to fade. That's one way to look at reputation. It's all important. Uh, the other extreme the other extreme is to turn a blind eye to anything and any, anyone who may think or say anything about us. We can categorically ignore other people's opinion about us. Right? We don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. You don't know me, right? This kind of, um, I am my own person. Take it or leave it. I don't need you. You don't, you know, this... It's kind of, it, it actually looks kind of independent in a way or, or courageous. And while we're free to engage in such a detachment, I think we do so at our own sociological peril, right? To say that I don't care anything about you and you don't need to care anything about me. Not to mention that we all have our blind spots, our flaws, uh, in which flaws in our personality of which we are unaware, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The book of Proverbs, again, would frown upon the oblivious and the unteachable who reject the words of the wise in favor of their own sense of unfettered self-rightness. So I think the Bible and common sense would say, no, we are not what... We should not be enslaved to what people think of us, nor should we be completely you know, careless, carefree of what they think of us as well. Is, is there a happy and helpful medium between these opposite poles? I'm not sure. Uh, I think there is. This is what I would uh, presume that a lot of us are maybe already practicing. But I, I find it helpful, and I would recommend that what we do is we identify certain individuals who genuinely love and know us well right in your life find those who love you and who, who, are, who know you right and take seriously what they say to us and about us now, even if we don't like it or agree with them all the time they may not always be right but if we can be assured that their opinions come from a good place with our best interests at heart then it's worthwhile 
to at least consider their assessments. Find those people, right? And it could be one or two. It could be a whole slew of them, right? Depending on what you're able to handle. Right? But those are the counselors, those are the voices, those are the opinions, those are the people that should make or break a reputation, is what I'm thinking. Uh, sociologists tell us that when we were children, our parents and friends mainly provided us with what's called a looking glass self-image. In other words, we learned about ourselves through what they reflected to us. Our parents, our siblings, our friends were mirrors, basically. right? And our self-understanding closely tracked what they how they viewed us now if of course if a mirror is curved or or untrue um, or it's self-broken the reflection could uh, lead to a distorted representation of who we were right thus many of us maybe growing up we struggled with poor self-image right because those mirrors were not themselves very good yeah, uh, so we need to find those perfectly flat, if possible, those true, those clean, those loving uh, mirrors. Now, as we mature, as we get older, uh, we needed to kind of correctly discern who those people might be for us, right? As we expanded our community, our relationships, uh, we realized that not everyone's opinion should carry the same weight. So on that spectrum, for a Christian, of course, uh, what God says should be given paramount credence, right? What he says about us, always true, very true, true, right? And then on the other end, Satan's lies and accusations, they should be summarily dismissed. Right? Don't even entertain what he says because it's not true. Uh, in between, uh, there are all kinds of people and all kinds of perspectives. And I think what we need to do is be able to read others. We need to find those people, right? their motivations and their meanings in order to help us hone, help us uh, refine our self-understanding. Yeah, we can't surround ourselves with flatterers. Yeah, we shouldn't uh, listen to haters, as we say. Yeah, we should find those that Paul says will speak the truth in love to us. We should look for those who can reinforce what the Spirit is already working within us uh, about. Okay, having said all that, uh, let's, let me try to take these musings and see if and how uh, they are played out in Jesus's life as depicted in Luke 4. Okay, first off, we already talked uh, in depth last week of how the calling and the will of God dictated Jesus's life. So Jesus, like I said, paid strictest attention to what God said about who he was. And he was one of those mirrors, the mirror for Jesus as well. And then in turn, during the temptation, Jesus re repeatedly repudiated, tongue twister, Satan's sly stratagems to pervert Jesus' self-understanding, right? So what God said carried absolute weight. What Satan said, Jesus said, no way, I'm not gonna listen to that. So already there is a great a model, an exemplar uh, for us. But how did Jesus handle the people's view of him? Right? What was his reputation among the people? Verse 14 uh, starts out by telling us that Jesus was starting to build a reputation of being a powerful and noteworthy teacher. He regularly entered synagogues and uh, read slash comment, commented on scriptures. Verse 16 says that it was his custom to frequent synagogues 
where he was stationed on every Sabbath day, people began to take notice of who Jesus was, and they're starting to make value judgments about what kind of person they thought he was. In the course of this very short narrative, like 15 verses, the people go from this like feel-good marveling at the local boy makes it big to this incensed, right? Who does the heck does this guy think he is? Mob mentality. They're ready to throw him off a cliff. Right? Here are the verses which um, describe uh, the sudden change. I'm sorry, can we go to, um, I might have mixed up the, the slides. The one that starts slide 15, there you go. Everyone praised him. I'm just picking the excerpts. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious works that came from his lips. All the people in the synagogue were furious uh, when they heard this. So here we have this sudden kind of like change, this shift from adulation to bloodlust. It's pretty stunning how the reputation of Jesus uh, changes. You might say that Jesus actually instigated this abrupt uh, change of reputation. He deliberately offended the townspeople by implicating their unbelief. Um, Jesus knew that their view of him, their, their adoration, their praise, it was just a veneer. It was just on the surface. But he was able to see that deep down in their core, the people of Nazareth really didn't like him. They didn't really believe in him. So he exposes their falsehood, or at a minimum, their lack of self-awareness. Even though they're moved by the reading of his Isaiah prophecy, and they seemed excited about how this Joseph's son demonstrates like rabbinical prominence, Jesus knew that how they viewed him was superficial, insincere. And so he didn't buy into their hype. He didn't let what they said change who he was uh, in the core. His identity and mission steered clear of this kind of uh, vacillating or fluctuating opinions that they had of him. Yeah, he remained remarkably steadfast in spite of all the admiration heaped upon him, and in spite of all the venomous disparagement constantly thrown his way. Yeah. Jesus did not take seriously what non-serious people said about his reputation. That's how he handled them. Right? By not only listening to their words and hearing what they say, but seeing into their hearts, understanding who they were and what they were really saying. And he, he's able to you know, discern right, that that was just like a human reaction and not what really was inside. This is um, even more pointedly shown in John 2 when uh, after his first miracle, uh, the disciples, it says that they started to be loyal and uh, they started to follow Jesus. The gospel writer recounts um, that despite his inaugural success, Jesus did not entrust himself even to his disciples. They were not to be the mirrors to help him understand himself or his calling. Uh, here is John's tidy remark. Uh, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Yeah. 
So Jesus was able to determine who he should heed and what he could ignore based on the heart of the speaker. Yeah, I mean, isn't that true? What people say or do are not necessarily consistent with what people are really thinking and who they really are. Right? So not only what they say, but who's saying it. Right? Helped Jesus, I think. That was one of the important factors in his self-understanding. And that's a significant truth, um, I believe. Right? To be able to read the opinions of others beyond just the words themselves. And what's really going on underneath? What are they really saying, in other words? Okay, certainly, Jesus has a huge advantage over us, being the Son of God. He could read people in ways that you and I will never be able to. That doesn't detract, though, a way, uh, that shouldn't detract us from doing our due diligence. Right? We should prayerfully seek uh, to uh, identify those whose words to us are being used by the Holy Spirit uh, to help conform our character to Christ. Right? Find those people, build a relationship with those people, trust those people. And diligently ward off right, those whose comments or slights or even veiled aggressions that they are trying to hinder the divine purpose right, of conformity to Christ. Uh, even though it's hard, I don't think we can give up looking for and learning from the right people. And none of us uh, on our own are able to fully know ourselves. We're too subjective for that. Right? We'll either think too highly of ourselves or think too lowly of ourselves. We need to learn. Um, we, need, we, we need that term that Paul uses, remember our studies in Romans 12, yeah. sober judgment, right? sober judgment. We need the help of others who can exercise sober, sound judgment on us for our betterment. Right? That is where our reputation should hang. Right? This is where it should rise and fall, uh, be built up or to be dismantled, deconstructed and started over, to be maintained, to be to, or to, to shake uh, things up, right? those voices, uh, those opinions, those words. So, you know, I was thinking about an example, and uh, it's about that time that I bring up Lord of the Rings yet again. Right? Maybe a world record in terms of references, but I, I don't know. This, this, I, that, that, that one, um, I'll do a movie clip where, if you remember, um, uh, Sam and Frodo and Gollum are kind of going to Mordor and it's a very hard trip and you know all that um, you know it's just like a lot of burden and they're running out of food right they're running out of that lemba spread right and you know uh, Gollum is being um, uh, you know dishonest he's uh, he's trying to kind of sway Frodo to trust him, and the way he's doing it is by kind of slandering Sam, right? And so he, I think Gollum chucks, like some, throws away some of the bread, throws it over the cliff or something, and then he accuses Sam of eating that bread because Sam's kind of, you know, Sam likes to eat. And I can relate to that. And, and then, you know, you see Frodo wavering, right? 
he knows Sam, he loves Sam, but you know, he's kind of under the pressure of, 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 of hunger and of having to carry the, the burden of the ring. And, and Gollum is just very clever, right, at kind of painting the lies uh, about him. And, you know, Sam, I mean, sorry, Frodo, in a moment of indiscretion, yeah, decides to send Sam away. He banishes him and says, you're not for me, get away from me. And, and Sam kind of it has to go away until later on he comes to the rescue. But I was, one, I was just thinking about that scene and just kind of under, like seeing that as a great kind of picture of maybe our Christian struggle, right? Where, you know, we hear these different voices, we hear these, we have these different opinions, we are being, trying to be persuaded or, or, or convinced of something. And, and, and in that moment, right, we listen to the wrong voice. Right, and we reject the, the right one. Right? We care about what a certain person thinks. And, you know, we don't listen to somebody that we should, you know, take seriously, like, like our parents, for example, or our friends who really love us, right? Or somebody who's really dedicated and, and loyal. We pick for something more expedient, something that maybe aligns with what our desires are. And we frustrate uh, we slow down, we hinder uh, God's purpose uh, in our lives. Yeah. So how do you deal, how should we deal with what uh, others say uh, to us? Let me finish the message by just kind of commenting on Jesus, right? Uh, not only is this uh, passage tell us about Jesus' self-understanding, right, uh, with respect to how others view him, his reputation, but also Jesus serving this role of sober judge, right? He's trying to, in my view, um, help the townspeople, help them see the truth about their own hearts. That's why he brings in, he says these like very pointed words, right? You know, you guys want, you guys are thinking, physician, heal yourself, right? No prophet is honored in his hometown. The Syrians and the Sidonians, these were enemies. These were hated people of the Israelites. They were better than you guys. Jesus kind of throws the kitchen sink at them. Why? Because he's playing games? Because he's trying to do some sort of rhetorical advantage? No, he's trying to be a mirror. He's trying to say, hey, look, you guys, this is what is real. You're saying that you want to follow me. You're saying that you want a miracle, but not really. The truth of your hearts, the truth of what, what, what was happening here is that you are full of unbelief. You're full of jealousy. You want me to do something for you because you feel entitled, not because you really are desperate for God's help, God's strength. Right? And of course, you know, the, 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 the Nazarenes, they almost banished. Samwise Jesus, you know, off the cliff. They almost, you know, kill him. They almost uh, try to shut him down, but uh, he escapes uh, their grasp. Yeah. Uh, reputation. Reputation. It could be a great thing. It could also be a very scary thing, right? In, in our efforts to look good or look the way that we want in front of others. It can cost a lot if we don't have these um, if we don't listen to the right voices, 
if we don't understand ourselves properly. Let us pray. Lord, uh, as we try to look through this passage and understand better um, how uh, the perfect human being, the obedient Son, Jesus Christ, how he developed the right self-understanding. And uh, we are, I think, inspired to, um, by the way in which he took everything you said and he, he clung to it, he, he, he embraced it, he lived it out. And he shut out the wrong voices. He put an end, a stop, to those who would try to manipulate him or those that would try to change him for, the, for uh, a path uh, that led away from you. Uh, we need, Lord, uh, wisdom. We need, Lord, humility. We need grace. We need discernment uh, to find those um, who will speak the truth and love to us. Uh, we need the strength to turn away, to turn aside even from uh, those who would uh, lead us astray. Lord, uh, we ask for those mirrors. We ask for the words of, uh, of Jesus Christ. We need prophets, Lord, who can lead us um, to that uh, understanding of who we are and what you want us to be. Please grant this to us um, uh, in in gracious and in bountiful ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.